This morning, as we turn into the final section of Ephesians, we have gone through three chapters. The first three chapters are, are basically teaching of doctrine, of Christian faith, of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ by sending him into the world and going to the cross and paying for the penalty of sin. You see, your biggest problem has been you've been separated from God by your sins, not just individual activities, but you, before coming to Christ, were under a bondage to a nature that was sinful. It did not desire or love God or seek God. And now that you have heard the gospel and have repented and turned to Christ, the Bible teaches that when a person makes that confession of Christ, they are born into a new creation. That the old has passed, the new has come. And so with that with that releasing of bondage, the Christian is then left to the tremendous joy of seeking and knowing and growing in their knowledge of Jesus Christ. And by growing in that knowledge of Christ, they learn continually how to put off the old sinful nature and how to put on Jesus Christ, how to, to follow Christ in this life. And so though sin has been disarmed of its dominion in our life, it's still a present reality. Paul teaches us in the book of Ephesians that there are really three enemies of your faith in Christ. Three enemies that want to rob you of the peace and the joy of walking with Jesus Christ this morning. The first is the world wants to squeeze you into its mold. You see that in our culture today as, as morals change and as things that were once taboo become acceptable. What's happening? Our culture wants to squeeze you into a to accepting and even affirming that kind of thing. And as you read the Bible and you understand God's word, you know that God did not create us to live immoral lives. As pleasurable as immorality can be, and by the way, sin is incredibly pleasurable, isn't it? I mean, think of gluttony. How, who does not want to just stop eating? When you get something good, you just want to go back and get more. Well, there's a point where more is too much, and it's bad for you. And you can see this in all kinds of facets. And so, and so when you think about how the world wants to squeeze you into its mold, it wants you to live a life that copies everyone else that rejects who God is. Then there's the devil that wants to do nothing more than deceive you. He wants you to believe the lies that, that he tells. He doesn't want you to believe what God says. And so when you, the word of God is given to us, the devil wants to snatch it from you. He wants to rob it from your life, take it away from you before it has any effect in your heart. And then the last enemy of our faith in Jesus Christ is the flesh. And when the flesh is talked about in the Old Testament, it talks about the old nature that we have within us that still would like to live as if God doesn't exist that we would make ourselves God, that we become the arbiter of what right, and what right and wrong is, that we would decide what is good and bad. And so the flesh is always there. It's, it's evident with pride. Some of you are the most prideful people I know, and it's not a good pride. You're not pri prideful of, of things you accomplish or do. It's the kind of pride where you hold grudges against other people, where you don't forgive others because you've been injured. That pride is, is a downfall because it always leads to destruction. Well, in Paul, in describing these three enemies of our faith, 
and the fact that God has delivered us in Christ to a new relationship with him that gives us a power that's not in us but comes from Christ that now resides in us. Paul begins to close his letter and he closes it in such a way that it, it really is quite amazing because as we come to the end of this passage or this letter of Ephesians, Paul's been talking about putting on the full armor of God. You know, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the sword of the spirit. And so in the scheme of his imagery, you would think that Christians stand alone and we take on our enemies by ourselves. But as we've gone through the armory of God, we find that the armory is not, is not something we wield, it's something God gives us. And it always finds its power and source of power in Jesus Christ in our relationship to him. And so what seems like armament that makes us think we're standing by ourselves, in fact, it teaches us we don't stand at all apart from being in Jesus Christ and walking with him each day. And so we come to the 19th verse of chapter 6, and here's where it really becomes the cement that holds all of this teaching together because it deals with the word prayer. Please now, would you rise with me as we hear the word of God? Paul finishes his letter with these words, pray also for me, and, and let, me, um, let me back up to verse 18 before I go any further, because that was an important verse I shouldn't have left out. He says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak words may be given me so that I will be or I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that, that you also may know how I am and and what I'm doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. This is the word of God. Please be seated. If you have your Bibles, if you turn to chapter 6, beginning with verse 18, one of the things that you find is that in this passage, what seems to be kind of an innocuous closing to us, it doesn't seem to have any meat to it. It doesn't seem to have any teaching power in these words, except that Paul says to pray. And it kind of reminds me, when I think about my Christian life as, my, as I walk with God, when I think about sharing the faith, I have come to the place where sharing the faith really doesn't bother me anymore. I know that God converts people's hearts. I can only tell them what the message is, that God so loved them that he gave his son. That if they would repent of their sins and believe in him, they would be forgiven. It's not so much there sharing the gospel is the problem anymore. It's not so much reading the Bible. 
you know, being a pastor, you have to read the Bible. Did y'all know that's kind of a job requirement, you know, being a pastor? So... comes into your mind and you begin to think, okay, well, that's not hard. The Bible's the Bible. Everybody can read it. Even non-Christians read it. I was surprised to learn that in, in uh, I think it was Tibet, that there were actually a leper colony. And that leper colony had nothing to do, so they began to memorize the Bible. And they memorized it from Genesis to Revelation. But none of them believed in Jesus. Isn't that interesting? So you can read the Bible and understand it, but it not change you. Well, if sharing the gospel and reading the Bible, those are things that we can do. When you think of the other graces of the Christian life, feeding the poor, taking care of, I can do that. I can, I can go to my closet and clean it out and you know, give away all the things that I can't fit into anymore. And I can give those to the poor in such ways that I can feel really good about myself. I could go to the Mooresville Soup Kitchen on, on the days that they're serving meals and I could actually go and labor in the serving of meals to people who need something to eat. And, and I would actually come away feeling, well, wow, I did a really good thing. I'm, I'm a good Christian. But in all of the graces of the Christian life, in all of the things that we do, the one thing that I find in my life to be the most difficult is prayer. Because I believe God has instructed us to pray to demonstrate to us the truth of the gospel, that we are incapable and helpless of saving ourselves from sin, even as Christians. We are incapable and helpless to save ourselves from the power of sin, except that Christ's power be at work in us through prayer. And so for a prayerless Christian to try to live the Christian life, well, that's just like every other religion, because what you're truly doing is you're believing that by activating certain activities in your life, that you are right with God through Christ. And that's not the gospel. The gospel is simply this, that we are right with God because we acknowledge our sins, we repent and turn and believe that Christ, when he died on the cross, paid my penalty in full, and I am now adopted into God's family, I'm cleansed of my sins, I'm purified by the Spirit, and I am now given a power at work in me that is continually conforming me to love God. And even when I don't, that power at work in me woos me back to the cross. It always draws me back to Jesus. This power, what power is it? It's the Holy Spirit. The, Jesus even taught the disciples, he said, I'm going to leave you, but I'm going to send a comforter. Isn't that wonderful? Let me tell you, I've got a blue blanket at home. Uh, we can give away every piece of garment in my entire house, but do not give away my blue blanket. My wife calls me Linus. Do you know why? Because when I get that blue blanket around me, I am so comfortable. It is just oh well, overwhelming how everything's right with the world. Isn't that beautiful? Well, that's what you have in Jesus Christ. You have a security. You have a comfort. You have a Lord who knows you. He knows every sin you've ever committed. 
and he loves you and he asks you to confess it and forgive it and turn from it. And he wants you to, to obtain this knowledge of him in such a way that you walk in joy, not happiness. Happiness is based on what we have. He wants you to walk in joy. That is an unbridled, sustained gratefulness of life. Isn't that beautiful? And so when we think of prayer, prayer is the one place in the disciplines of the Christian life that really becomes a powerful example of the gospel. Because without Christ, I can do nothing that pleases God. And therefore, all the more necessity of prayer. And the minute we say that, we think, okay, it has to be laborious. We have to go through rituals. The Catholic use beads. Other people use other devices. Is that what prayer is about? No, simply this. Prayer is relying upon Jesus in every moment of every day. You become angry. What do you do with that anger? Well, you, you, you hit somebody in the nose. No, you, you take it to Christ and tell him, I'm angry. And he begins to help you understand why you're angry and what it is the anger's revealing about your relationship to him. Or you're dealing with a lust, you're at work and you find someone that you're really attracted to and you're thinking, oh man, I really like this person. And you suddenly go, wait a minute, I'm married. And you go, why, why do I, what's going on there? Why, why do, I'm, I'm married to a really wonderful person who I told till death do me part. And now I'm having this attraction to someone else. Why is that? And I go to Jesus and he begins to show me why. And not only that, he has the power to save me. From what the world says, oh man, if you're attracted, go for it. You see how that works? See, it's in that communion, that dialogue with prayer, that God begins to work in our hearts, not to take away our sinful impulses, but to reveal those impulses to us so that we would go to him for the power to deliver us from them. Let me tell you, I, I've really been on this diet for the past two weeks, and, and I've lost, a, I think, about 14 to 16 pounds. I'm not sure. It depends on which scale I'm arguing with, but... But the most amazing thing to me is as I have cut out certain things in my life that I used to love, now that I've pushed away from that, I've gotten used to this new lifestyle, and I'm suddenly thinking, you know, I, I, I don't miss it as much as I thought I would. Well, what, what's going on there? It's a transformation. So it is with the Christian life, and it only happens through prayer. Prayer. Prayer, communing with the Lord, communing with the Lord. Well, where are we going with this? Well, notice what Paul says in this passage as he opens this for us. He says, and I'm not sure why that's not advancing for me. Maybe it's the, I'll do it what I do at home. Yeah. Oh, there it is. Okay, it works. Uh, there are three things that Paul teaches us in this passage that you need to hold on to as you think about prayer. First, it is a command that we are commanded to pray. It's not if you pray, when if you pray, it's when you pray. And so even Jesus in the gospel led this, this whole expectation that he expects you, now get this, he expects you, he invites you, he demands that we who believe in him talk to him about our lives. 
Now, men, we're not good at this. I've driven with some of you, and if we got lost and you were driving the car, you would not listen to me or anyone else as to how to get to the destination where we're going. You would say, I would ask you, are we lost? Nope, I know exactly where I am. I know where I'm going. Don't worry. And so there's a part of us men as prideful men that we literally resist prayer because we believe that we can, in our own wisdom, power, strength, be a man and solve our own problem. And it's in that vein that Jesus tells you and me as men that true men, true men, understand they are not God. They do not have the answers. But God does. And because Jesus was a true man, he is someone we can follow an example of to be what men are supposed to be. Not milk toast, weak need, sissified people, but men under God's command. Think of that. Men under God's command. The Lord says this, and I will do it. What a beautiful image that is. That goes back to the armor of, the, of the, the armor of God, where the centurions, the Roman soldiers, would take orders and they would implement the, what the, the leader's orders were immediately, and it would accomplish great work. And so when you think of the command, the second is ex, ex, there's an example in this passage of someone who did pray. And, do, and in those prayers, God used him tremendously. And then finally, there's a benediction that comes. The benediction is simply a blessing that is bestowed upon those who, who truly understand what Paul is saying here about prayer. But let's look at these very quickly. First, it's the command to pray in the spirit. Now, immediately when someone reads that, they think that we're going to bring out some Ouija board or, or throw kind of uh, stones in the air and wait for it to come down and, and try to get some signs or some indication from things. Some of you do this even today. You read horoscopes. Have you done that? You, you open the newspaper and you think, I wonder what my horoscope says. What are you looking for? You're looking for some kind of... of divine intervention. Uh, when we go out to eat at Chinese restaurants, you, you go through that delicious meal, and what do you get at the meal? What do you get? What is it? Yeah, for, fortune, fortune cookie, right? And, and have you ever noticed that you open it up, and on one side are the numbers for the lottery? Yeah, you ever notice that? If you've played it, you've lost, right? Right? I don't know anybody that's won the lottery from a fortune cookie. You know, I've never heard anyone say, I won the North Carolina lottery because I went to the Fusion Bowl and I opened up the, the fortune cookie and there it was. No. But when you turn it over, oh, now wait a minute. Those innocuous sayings like, you will be very happy over the next three weeks. <laughs> or, good things are going to happen to you. Right? We like that. Why do we like that? Because... We are hoping that there is some power beyond ourselves that will influence us in a direction that is pleasing to our lives. And so when people read that Paul writes and says, look, pray in the spirit, one of the things that crosses our mind, which is an error, is that somehow we're going to bring out some kind of Bible and lay it out. I've seen people do this. They lay out the Bible and they just kind of say, oh, Lord, give me a word. And they open it up and it says... Go and hang yourself. 
And they go, oh, no, that can't be from the Lord. And then they pray again, and they turn the Bible. And, and what you must do, do quickly. You see how that works? That's not how prayer is. Prayer in the Spirit is simply this. You have now, because of your faith in Christ, been given the Holy Spirit who lives in you. And what even more glorious is that his power is at work even in helping you pray. In the most weakest place of our Christian life, the Spirit is given to encourage, reprove, and to help us even when we don't have the words to put in our mouths on how to pray. Isn't that glorious? And it is, I've talked to numbers of people, and the one area that they feel completely lost is how to pray. We grew up in our own house. The only prayer I ever heard uttered, uttered from my father was the prayer we would say at our mealtime. And it was, Lord, we thank you for these and our many blessings Forgive us our many sins. In Christ's name, amen. Is that what we're commanded to pray? Is that what we should be praying? Is that enough of what we should be praying? You see, there's the, there's the second problem of prayer is that we don't feel we know how to pray because we don't know what to pray. If you have your Bibles, and if you don't, that's all right, but just listen to these words. If you have your Bibles, if you go back to chapter 1, and you turn to chapter 1, verse 17 through 19, here is what Paul has been praying for the Ephesians, and it's a prayer that we should be praying for ourselves as we pray. As we are commanded to pray, what should we pray? Well, Paul says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. You hear that? And so one of the things that we are commanded to pray is that, God, I want to know you better because I don't know you like I should or like you want me to. I was talking with a young lady who was beginning dating this young man, and she said, oh, I'm just so enamored with him. And I said, what's so exciting? She said, he, we talk to each other all the time. And I'm thinking, well, that'll probably last about six months. And, 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 and she says, he looks at me in the eyes when we talk, and I feel like I have his complete undivided attention. And I thought, isn't that just like a new Christian, too? You know, we come to Christ, we begin to walk with Christ, and we have this excitement to be in Jesus. But then suddenly along the way, the enemies of our, of our faith, the devil, the world, the flesh, they begin to, to chip away at our enthusiasm of being with Jesus. They begin to rob us of the joy of communing with the Lord. And so in such ways, we begin to forget what God has done for us. We, we lose insight into why, why we receive Christ. And Paul says, I pray you Ephesians would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you will come to know God better and better. In other words, it's a progressive thing. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his inglorious inheritance for you. And finally, in verse 19, his incomparable great power for us who believe. Man, I want you to know, after this year of COVID, I've been praying that. This has been the most depressing life that we have ever lived. 
And when I hear of people like Joe Knox and others, I, I have a friend who is a broker and his assistant named Amy lost her husband Charles at 49 to COVID. 49 and he's gone. And I'm thinking, why is it that this virus affects some people and not others? And I'm just thinking, Lord, what's going on? And there is a real despondency in my heart. There's a real depression that comes. And I, I forget what God has done for me in Christ. You see, COVID may attack you, but one thing, it can never rob you of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Do you hear me? You have nothing to fear. Because you are in the hands of the living God, a father who loves you and gave himself for you, that you might walk before him with this wisdom, this knowledge, this revelation he's given you, that you have a hope in him that can never die. You are more wealthy than any person in the world because you have inherited this eternal life, and you have an incredible great power at work in you that is causing you to seek and love God when you never would do it before. Now, that's something to pray about, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you think, okay, well, that's just one prayer. You know, that's just one text. It's just, it's just three verses, Robert. Well, turn in your Bibles to chapter 3. Because Paul begins that first three chapters with prayer. Then he goes through what Christ has done for you in the cross and how much he loves you and what he's done in sacrificing for you so that you might walk in joy this morning. But you come to chapter 3 and he begins to close this doctrinal teaching. He begins to close that doctrinal teaching, summing it up, and then beginning to apply it in chapters 4, 5, and 6. And he says, husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Why? Because you love Jesus. In the end of chapter 3, as he's closing the teaching of what Christ has done for us in the cross, in chapter 3, verse 15, he says, I pray that out of God's glorious riches, which riches? Remember the riches we were praying about in chapter 1? The riches of his glorious inheritance that he gives to his holy people? He says, I pray that out of this glorious riches that God may strengthen you with power through the Holy Spirit in your inner being so that you may dwell. There it is. So that you may dwell in your hearts through faith. You see it? It's not enough just to have the wisdom and revelation here. The purpose of it being here is that it may have an effect here. That you may dwell in Christ's spirit and walk with him. He goes on to say, and I pray in verse 17b, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. You see, there's an end result of what God wants to do in your life. You're in process. You've just begun this life of being conformed to God. It's not over. It's still at work. But there is coming a place where Paul wants you to grow in such maturity of loving God that it begins to affect people in this world and change their lives as God changes you. Some of you have been talking to me about your loved ones in your family and they don't know Christ. 
and you want to you want to change that and let me tell you the best way you can start changing that is you begin loving Christ and let Christ's love and the evidence of that love be so seen in your life that others begin to become asking why do you believe in Jesus why do you believe in Jesus This is so powerful because when you think of this kind of prayer, when we're commanded to love, now it becomes a little more clear because if the enemies want to knock this out of me, if they want to remove this wisdom and revelation God has given me, then they've already won the battle. But if I pray and ask God for a power I don't have, that he may dwell in me, that he may come into my life each day. By the way, this is why the movement, the quiet time movement began in the church because it was a way of helping people understand how they can appropriate this indwelling Christ. You see, as we go into God's word and we study and read it, it's not just page and ink on paper. It is God's active communication to us about himself, how we can trust him, what he does, what he won't do, how he leads, how he doesn't lead. And so as Paul's praying for the Ephesians, he's praying, listen, I want you to understand you cannot live this Christian life if you do not pray. And so in light of that, he, he goes through this and he says, first, I want you to understand we are to pray at all times, regularly and constantly. You say, well, I can't go to the church every day and pray. Well, you're not supposed to go to the church. You see, the second thing he says is that we should do it with all kinds of prayers and requests. I've gotten to the age where I take my glasses off. I can see just fine up close. I, I mean, I, I'm blessed. But some of y'all in the back pew are a blur. Lonnie, brother, and I can't even tell if you're smiling or not. And, and, and some people say, well, Robert, don't wear your glasses while you preach. And sometimes I don't because I don't want to see your faces. <laughs> but let me tell you, when I take these glasses off and I put them somewhere in the house, I can't find them. Why? Because I can't see where they are. I'll have to go get a second pair of glasses to put those on so I can find the first pair, right? Have any, none of y'all have this problem, I'm sure. So, so the most amazing thing is I've begun to pray. I'll begin to say, Lord, where did I put those glasses? And you know what? Instead of searching for an hour, I end up searching about five minutes and I find them. And then I say, well, thank you, Lord. Now you say, Robert, that's just serious. Is it? Is it really? There have been times when I've asked God for wisdom. I had no idea how to say, any, say what I needed to say or do what I needed to do. And I've asked God for wisdom. And to my utter amazement, God uses me in other people's lives. That's because I'm so smart. <laughs> Forget that thought. You see, the, the power of prayer comes in realizing we don't have the answers, people. God does. To every question of your life, God really loves you. And he desires that you turn your heart to him and trust in him in such ways that you will pray asking him what to do. And there will be times when he gives you an answer very quickly and there are times when you, you don't get an answer quickly. Why, why does he tarry? Because he's at work revealing things to you. Remember, he wants us to have a spirit of 
wisdom and revelation. God wants to show you something about what circumstances you're dealing that reveal why you need Jesus and how you can trust him. Isn't that beautiful? I have a father who loves me that much in heaven. Well, not only do, am I supposed to pray with this kind of, kind of uh, regularity that I'm supposed to, to let every prayer. I mean, I pray while I walk. I don't, I'm not walking around with rose beads. Going, I'm not doing that. But there are times when I, I will hear something or think of something. Sometimes I think of you and I pray for you when I do that. I'm not on my knees. I'm not prostrated on the floor with my face buried in the carpet. I am literally talking to God about you. That's what prayer really is. But thirdly, he says this kind of praying is having perseverance. What does that mean? It doesn't give up. Even Jesus taught us about prayer. He said a man went and knocked on some man's home because he didn't have food for his visitors and he needed some help. So he went and knocked on the door. And the guy wouldn't come to the door. He says, I'm in bed. I can't get up. You ever had that kind of thing happen? Drives you crazy, doesn't it? Just leave, whatever you want, take it and leave me. Well, Jesus said that persistence in prayer is powerful, not because we wrench God in doing something we want him to do for us, but that kind of prayer yields fruit because when we continue to lay it before God, we become more and more convinced that we can't do anything to change it. The more we're convinced of that, the more we show we believe the gospel. That I cannot resist sin. I cannot change the heart that's in me that loves to sin. I cannot. I am completely, utterly helpless when it comes to the power at work in the world that would drive me from God. I cannot resist it. I cannot I cannot resist his temptations unless God intervened. This is what we mean when we talk about salvation. When we come to Christ, we are made righteous through him. Now we are being sanctified by that same spirit where we're learning more and more how to trust in Christ to overcome our sins. Not to stand on our own strength, but in the strength of Christ. And there's coming a day, God, come quickly. There is coming a day. When Christ returns, that every evil thing in the world will be totally removed, including the sin in your heart. It's no wonder Revelation 22 says, come quickly, Lord Jesus. If this is what prayer is all about, then let me ask you, how are you doing with that? If you're honest with, with me, you would join me in the line that says, I'm not in the front. I'm in the back. I'm still learning. Amen? So let's get rid of this notion that there are some here who are more, more spiritual than others in prayer. You know, whenever I get around my family and we have family reunions, they go, okay, preacher, you need to pray. I'm just going, they have no clue. They have no clue. Let me tell you, some pastors who you would go to and ask to pray are about as close to God as East is from West. Does that frighten you? 
Let me say that one more time. There are some pastors in this town who are so far away from God that though God hears their prayers, he will not intercede or work in their hearts until they begin to confess their sins. And they won't. And so when you go to that pastor and you say, Pastor, pray for me, you're putting your hope that the pastor's prayers will somehow intervene in your life. And Jesus says, don't you understand? I am your priest. You don't need a pastor to pray for you. You have a direct line to the Father. It's been purchased through his blood. And God hears every word you pray. You see, that's what praying in the Spirit is all about. It's taking advantage of the fact that now that I've been adopted into God's family, I've got a father, literally in Aramaic, i got a dad in heaven who loves me, who supplies for me, who answers my prayers and wants me to cast all of my prayers upon him. Does that surprise you? I was talking with a lady in Statesville years ago, and we were talking about prayer, and she said, she said, you don't, you don't let people come and make confession to you, do you? And I said, heavens no. And I said, I'll, I'll pray with people if they want that, but I, we don't have a confession booth in the Presbyterian Church. And she said, you know, I've given that a lot of thought, and I think those churches that have that, they, they must have priests that are so bored they have to live life vicariously through other people. <laughs> I didn't want to tell her that the priests probably have their own sinful life that they are overwhelmed by themselves. You see, that's, that's truly what we believe in, the, in our reform system is that we don't have priests. I'm called a pastor because I teach God's word. I only have one priest. He's a high priest. He's been praying for you since the moment you woke up, even before that, and he stands at the heavens interceding for you right now. Did you know that? Jesus is praying for you. What is he praying? That you will receive wisdom and revelation from him in such ways that you may know the hope to which you have been called. The inheritance that you have received. And the power that comes through believing the gospel. Isn't that glorious? Man, I, I couldn't do this job if I didn't have that. Well, they say, Robert, okay, we're almost through, right? He says, finally make supplication for saints. Now, who are the saints? Aren't those the people that are in statues that are somewhere around churches somewhere? No. Look to your neighbor and say, if you believe in Jesus, you're a saint. Yeah. No, don't, don't look at me. Tell them. They don't believe it. You see, we don't think of ourselves in that way. We don't think of ourselves as being saints. Why? Because we are not, we know we're not holy as Jesus is holy. But yet the word saint comes from the word that means separated. We have been separated by God for his glory, to know him, to walk before him. And since the unity of God's new society, this new creation called the church, which has been in the preoccupation of this whole letter, the church should be a church of prayer. Let me ask you, we're starting small groups these next couple of weeks. Do you know the reason we're doing this? It's because we have two 
deficits in this church. One, we do not know each other. And two, we don't know how to pray for one another. And if it wasn't for the Sunday schools, there would be no opportunity for prayer apart from worship. And let me tell you, that's why the church is weak. Because we believe we can solve the world's problems with our own insights and wisdom. And we can't. Only Jesus can do this, guys. Only Jesus. Some of you, some of you were convinced that Joe Biden was going to be the savior of our country. Some of you were convinced that Donald Trump was going to be the savior of our country. We have no chance if either one are in the office. I can promise you, no chance whatsoever unless Jesus Christ is the Lord of our lives. And the moment you give any allegiance to anyone but Jesus, you are compromising and becoming an idol or an idolater. Now, I don't want to get into politics. Don't please don't. I have my own political ideas. I really do. But they are not represented by what we're seeing happening today. We have so many problems in this world because of sin. So many problems. Well, why do I say all this? Because the devil wants to divide the church. He doesn't want you praying. He does not want you praying, and he'll do anything he can. And so the most amazing thing is that God gives us the words to speak. That's what Paul says. Pray that I might have the words. The apostle Paul, that I might have words to speak? Are you kidding me? This guy saw the, rever- the, uh, the resurrected Christ on the road to, to, to Damascus. Surely he could speak up. In prayer, no, he said, you need to pray for me that I might have the words to speak, but get this, he goes on to say that I might be fearless to speak them. You know, that's exactly what the world and our, our country needs right now. In this woke society, the, church, the, the country we live in needs a church where we pray, God, give me words to speak and make me fearless in speaking them. It's hard, isn't it? Well, to close the sermon, let me just tell you, he gives an example. He gives the name Tychicus. You wouldn't recognize that name unless you turn to Acts 20. Tychicus was an incredible person. Paul describes him in these ways. He's a dear brother. He's a dear brother. What does that mean? He's not someone that goes deer hunting in the woods. And that's not it. He is, he is someone who has been so close to Paul. They are kindred spirits. They have the same objective, same desire, same direction of life and that is they want to love Christ and serve him you can bet your bottom dollar that he's a dear brother because Paul spent many 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 hours crying out to God with Tychicus for the church not only that he was a faithful servant how do we know that he was sent by Paul to Ephesus the letter we're written to was written to the city of Ephesus he was sent by Paul to to Ephesus to relieve Timothy, another young minister, because he was being worn out by the church and by the battles in that city. He was sent to Titus, another minister that was under Paul's uh, cataract of people. And, And he was faithful. Why was he so faithful? He encouraged people. You know what he said? He said to people, pray, 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 pray. Tychicus, can't you say anything else? Yes, pray. 
That's the kind of man Tychicus was. And more important, he was an informed person. What does that mean? He was going to go to the Ephesians and not only tell them what was happening with Paul, he was going to do a Paul Harvey. You ever heard Paul Harvey? He was going to give them the rest of the story, right? Well, let me tell you the rest of the story of what's happening in Afghanistan. Right now, all we see are people being completely led in a life of chaos. Let me tell you what God is doing. God is raising up his church even in that place and they are witnessing to Jesus Christ and I am praying and convinced that God is going to do something he's never done before in reaching people for Christ. You say, are you a prophet? No. And how can you do that? Because that's what I'm praying. God, do not allow the gospel to go dark in that country. And then finally this morning as we look at this passage, we had an example noted that's the benediction. What does that mean? He uses three words, peace, faith, or actually four words, peace, love, faith, and grace. And you won't give me enough time to go through this. Ken Belk is looking at his watch, aren't you, Ken? Okay. Peace is that sense that God is Lord. He has forgiven me of my sins. And I am completely contented. Because God did something for me. That's true peace. Love, it's the love that's in Jesus Christ. And it's given even to enemies. Faith is the vehicle that God uses or God gives us to use when things get tough and you know they had to get tough for the Ephesians they had to make choices every day do I really believe in Jesus or not am I going to trust Christ or not and then grace grace is receiving what we never earned what we never earned When you go out of this room, the devil does not want you to have peace. He does not want you to walk in love. He wants you to doubt God and not have faith in him. And most of all, he does not want you to remember that God loves you not because you've done something good. But God has chosen to love you because he chose you. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, as we think about your word and we think about the power of prayer, we want to confess to you that we, in our sanctification, in our process of becoming more like Jesus, we have so much to learn of you in prayer. But I, I tell you, God, life is busy. There are so many things that I'm responsible for and so many things that I think I need to be a part of, and I, I, I rob myself. I just rob myself of so much because I believe the lies that I'm so important that if I take time to pray that I'm wasting time I, forgive me God out of all the armor of God that you give us prayer prayer is the one place that no one feels comfortable because prayer is totally an activity that we do out of faith. We cannot see you. We cannot touch you. 
We cannot hear with our ears your voice. And yet you have given us the Holy Spirit that we might commune, be united, be one with Jesus Christ. And I'm so grateful, God, that even in spite of the places I feel so inadequate in prayer, you still bid me come, come to you. Come and pray. Talk to you about the things that I struggle with. It could be a gluttonous idea. It could be a an unhealthy place in my life where I'm scarred from my family. It could be a place where I was so deeply hurt that I cannot forgive and I have no power to do so. It's no wonder the disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. We ask you would do the same for us in Jesus' name. The people of God said together.